0: Greetings from the Long Island Sound Podcast. Welcome to the show. Please rate, review, and comment on the show and call our listener line and leave a message for our guests. Dial 631 800 3579. All right, enjoy the show.
1: Thanks for joining us for the Long Island Sound Podcast. Each week we explore new music and dive deeper with the artists and their stories behind the music. Please
0: subscribe and rate and review us wherever you stream this podcast. Here's your host, Steve Yusko. You are in store for a great episode. I had a fantastic roller coaster ride conversation with Mary Lamont, queen of Long Island country music. We went from Alice Cooper to Anne Murray. She has some fantastic connections through her career and some really great music. Have a listen to Not Far From Here.
2: said, hey, what you doing? I'm just sitting here singing. You invited me over, said, let's have some fun doing nothing. And I said, where's the party? Where's the fire? And you said, not far from here. Driving kind of slow But the more I drove and thought about you the more I lost control I heard the siren getting louder and louder I pulled over And the cops Not far from here Not far from me.
0: Mary Lamont is my guest today, known as the Queen of Long Island Country. Her catalog of country music has made an impact on the Long Island sound. Performing throughout the island, Mary's band is opened for Delbert McClinton, Marshall Tucker Band, and the Charlies Daniels Band. As host of the long-running radio show Down Home Country, alternate Sundays on WUSB 90.1 FM. Mary has consistently kept country music on the Long Island airwaves. And with that, I say welcome to the Long Island Sound Podcast, Mary. Good to have you. Thank you so
1: much, Steve. Thanks for having me. This this will be
0: really fun. I, I got to tell you a quick story. So we were talking offline about my wife uh, being a big country music fan, and I love country music as well. And she used to have a butcher shop in uh, Massapequa Park, and they listened to country all day long. You know, when it was on... Popular radio stations, and then it disappeared from Long Island, and she was like horrified, you know. In, until the internet came along, uh, but I'm glad you're keeping. I mean it. I'm glad you're keeping uh, country music alive on the uh, university radio stations. So,
1: well, thank you. I have so much fun with that show. Um, I've been doing it for the past eleven years. I'm up to about two hundred and twenty-five shows. Wow. <laughs> Believe it. Um, But it's really fun because at WUSB uh, out of Stony Brook University, um, we can play just about anything we want. So we're not set to you have to do top 40 or you have to do this type of thing. Th- which is really thrilling because putting together show every week is uh the next adventure. It's really great. Yeah, you know
0: what's you know what's interesting with technology, and I think this is the bane of technology, is you have all this art artific- artificial intelligence telling you, well, if you like this, you're gonna like that, you're gonna like this, you're gonna like that. And you really got you get put in guardrails. And I'm just the opposite. As I get older, I don't want to be reminiscing about too many things that I've known in my past. I want to hear some new stuff, you know, uh, no matter what the genre is, I want to explore that. That's why we have the podcast, but I got to ask you this. When you first sat in that DJ booth, how was it for you? Did, did you take to it like a fish, uh, to water or was, was it uh, a process?
1: It was, it was pretty easy. Um, the lady who I shared alternate, um, shows with at that time, uh, Debbie DeWaltoff, who had done the show for 30, about 30 years. Mm -hmm. Um, she was very helpful in showing me the board and, you know, and, uh, telling me the ins and outs of, you know, how to, um, operate the equipment and what I should do at the half hour, you know, station IDs and, and all that. But, uh, we really didn't get into operating the CD player, <laughs> which was a little bit different from your regular home CD player. Okay. Um, so that was a little—I um, was a little apprehensive the first time I went on. And Charlie Backfish uh, is on with his show just before Down Home Country, and uh, and I I turned to Jim and I said, I am literally jumping off a cliff, mm-hmm. and I walked in and charlie was just finishing up his show and then he he put on the first song of my show and i said charlie would you be able to show me quickly how to use the cd player um because i don't know how to use it he turned to me and he said you're kidding <laughs> <laughs> i said no i'm not and so he quickly showed me how to to run it and i'm i'm pretty good technically so um so i kind of jumped in and jumped off the cliff and really had a ball with it. And uh, and it's been fun ever since. That's
0: great. Hey, let's turn the page and go back. I'm always interested when I speak to artists about that time in your life when either you've picked up an instrument or you said to yourself, hey, I want to be a songwriter or I can do this. When did that happen for you, Mary? Well, it
1: really started uh, when I was very little, and I was singing around the house. And we live, we I I am from southwestern Ontario. Um, You can probably I probably have a a bit of an accent left, although I've been down here for a long time. But uh, my dad said, "You can sing. You're going into the church choir." And my first reaction was, "No, no, I can't do that. I can't do that." And he says, "Yes, you can." I'm going over there right now, and the church was right next door <laughs> and he said and i'm and I'm you know I'm going to tell him that that you should join the choir so so I went to the first practice and I loved it, and I got to sing harmonies, and it was great because I used to when I was a little kid, I used to beg my friends to sing songs sure. so I could sing harmony to it. I mean, I just love that. And so I got into the choir and then I started singing solos and I was scared to death. But, you know, you're a little kid, you do what you're supposed to do. And I loved it. And so I've been very actually fortunate that I've had two men in my life who have pushed me to do things that I wouldn't ordinarily do on my own. And that was my father. And my husband, my our band would not even exist if it weren't for Jim. Wow! But anyway, going back to my father, I was interested in playing the piano. My friends were taking piano lessons, and I would fool around with you know their piano while I was waiting for them to get ready for school. And so I I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I'd really like to learn the piano. And he says, Oh, great. Okay, well we can you know we can get you a, you know, we can find a used piano somewhere. And, wow. and, uh, he was all for it. And then something happened and he turned around and he says, you know what, we can't do this. And so I just accepted it. I never questioned why he had done it. And years <laughs> later, after after my mother had passed away, mm. it turned out that my mother had taken piano lessons when she was little and she hated it. Oh. And she didn't want to see me go through that same kind oh, of interesting. experience. So she was the one who kind of put a stop to it. And um, you know, her she had her her intentions were good, but I'm a different person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I, I, I thought, well, you know, that was really sweet of her not to you know, not to want me to go through a bad experience, but, you know, I kind of missed that. I thought, gee, I wish I had done that. Well, a little time went by and I went to my dad and I said, I'd really like to learn how to play the bagpipes because we were Scottish Irish descent. And, you know, and I thought, wow, that's, that'd be really cool. Right. So this time he didn't ask my mother. He went to um my dad was the town doctor okay you know um, when they charged three dollars for an office visit and five dollars for a house call mm. and so he called one of his patients who was a farmer who had um a um a a pipe and drum band okay. and uh, and also gave lessons. This, you know, elderly, he must have been at about, a, I guess, in his 60s. Okay. And uh, so, so he says, my daughter wants to take bagpipe lessons. So this guy found me a used set of pipes. Wow and um and we i started out and uh now my mother had to drive me on a dirt road for miles Uh into the seventh concession and you know and to this to this uh man's farmhouse and uh and i would sit there and i was 10 at the time okay and uh and he taught me how to play bagpipes and i just loved it and um my friends would actually make fun of me because basically you look kind of weird yeah. when you're playing the pipes. Sure. But I used to practice in the backyard and um you know and, and learned uh, a lot of the traditional Scottish songs for pipes. And um my favorite one was Flowers of the Forest, and my my um grandfather One of his requests was that I play Flowers of the Forest at his funeral. But unfortunately, I was not that far along in the lessons at that point. So I wasn't able to do it. But whenever I hear Flowers of the Forest, I think of him. But um, that's great. Anyway, um, the, the farmer told me that I was his best student and that he wanted me to join his band. Wow. And I was afraid to join the band. I never did because I thought, "What if I make a mistake?"
0: Wow, interesting. So
1: I just, ne- I never did it. I mean, this is always this is, you know, Mary like stepping back and saying, "Oh, I can't do that. Yeah. Can't do that." Right, right. You know, and um, so, so we end up moving to the United States, and eventually the bagpipes went into the closet because okay. kids were fun of me and by eighth grade I I would had it and they they sold the pipes. Right. So um we ended up moving to Long Island. Um my dad got a position at Stony Brook University. Okay. Wow um, right. being a medical professor. He had started uh teaching uh in we we moved from the little town to a city um London Ontario very familiar. and my dad a job at the university there. And then from there, somebody heard him speak out in California and recommended him for a professorship, uh, at the new Stony Brook School of Medicine. Wow. Wow. So yeah. So he, you know, he said, wow, this would be really great. We got to move to Long Island. So we moved to Long Island and, um, uh, I ended up going into the city to um, pursue a modeling career which was completely insane for me to do. (laughs) I wanted to be a fashion model but I decided that I wasn't getting any work (laughs) so I better figure something else out. So I did get some work uh, with some photographers uh, dressing up in um, turn-of-the-century costuming Hmm. and posing kind of like an acting job in a way for uh dime store novels romantic oh, novels oh wow wow and it was really funny i walked into a dime store one day in the city like months later and actually saw myself on a couple of the covers of these oh, you know that's... romance novels it was pretty funny i still have one of them oh that's great um, yeah so um but there wasn't enough work so I had, um, made friends with several models who lived in the same apartment building. I was sharing an apartment with two other girls and, uh, one of them was working, uh, for, um, Alice Cooper's management, um, doing their fan club. Okay. So I would, you know, in the evenings, you know, several of us would all sit around, we'd be stuffing envelopes for the Alice Cooper fan club. (laughs) And, um, and I, I, um, I got a job. I went in and got a job at Lord and Taylor as a salesperson, and was there for a few months until my feet were just killing right. me. I couldn't stand it anymore. Sure. So I um, I called my friend who was doing the Alice Cooper fan club, and I said, "Susie, I can't. I just can't do this anymore. I'm going to find another job." And she says, "Oh, you know what?" Alice Cooper's management is looking for a receptionist. Oh, come on. Wow. I said, Oh my God, give me the number. This was so incredible because back in Canada, when I was in high school, the first live band I ever saw was Alice Cooper. Oh, amazing. And I saw them a small venue and I just loved them. <laughs> <laughs> so this was like, Oh my God, give me the number. I went on the interview. There's this girl slouched down in a seat and she says, so can you type? And I said, not really that well. And she says, that's okay. Neither can I. Wow. Wow. So she said, when could you start? Oh my God. And um, so I, I started that Monday and I was there for two years And got to know the guys in the band and, you know, all the roadies and everything who would come in and bring the snakes into the office. (laughs) And it was completely wild. But I learned so much there. Oh, I can imagine. I learned office protocol. I learned um, how to um, handle a difficult person on the phone. Um, how to handle difficult people when they
0: came in. Right, sure.
1: And uh, I once had um, a lady from a teen magazine come in. Um, she was supposed to meet with the manager who wasn't there. And she she used the the phone on my desk to call someone saying that the meeting wasn't going to happen. And she threw the phone at me.
0: Oh, geez. Wow.
1: <laughs> but, but working... Working there was really, really fun. And um, Shep Gordon was um, the manager, and he um, and and also Joe Greenberg. The two of them were co-managers mm-hmm. of um, Alice Cooper Band, and they were just terrific to work with. And at the same time, they were managing Anne Murray. Wow.
0: Wow. Another Canadian, Alice right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so that was kind of odd, but... Um, but- really fun. And um, so I was there for two years, as I said, and uh, at the end of two years, they were moving the office to California. So I wasn't really in a position to run off to California at that point. So I thought, well, I'll I'll find a different job. And Anne Murray's office up in Toronto said, oh, Mary, we hear that you're not moving out with them. So maybe you'd like to come up to Toronto and work with Anne. So, but I wasn't really in a position. I didn't really want to leave New York. Right, sure. I really love the city. So I... I decided to uh, to stay there, and I looked for another job. It would have been a booking agency. I learned all about contracts, but they had Commodores, they had the Good Rats. Oh yeah, William Schartner doing college speaking engagements, James Cotton, hmm. the James. Cotton band. I regret that I never met him. Cool in the gang. I used oh, to write wow. a type called Blondie. Right. Okay. I used to take contracts for Blondie. But something wrong was going on when James Cotton would call up and say, "Hey, I did my gig. I want my oh, money."
0: Oh yeah, that's a big sign, yeah. Ah,
1: oh, I'm. I think I need to get out of here.
0: <laughs> hey, Mary. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back. Let's talk about your experience at Crawdaddy Magazine. At the Long Island Sound, we're much more than a podcast. We're building a community. Please go to gigdestiny.com. Check out all our social media links. Subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Please comment. Call the listener line. Tell us what you think, what questions we should ask, who we should have on the show. And most of all, we thank you for your generous support. And remember, support the artists who are guests on the show. Now back to the podcast
1: so i i left there and i got a job at crawdaddy magazine okay so now i'm working for a magazine i've done management booking and and music publication so i thought and i'm learning all of yeah what an, you what know, an
0: apprenticeship really when you think so, about it
1: of The music business you know so this is really fantastic and um And so I'm at Crawdaddy for a couple of years and uh, I I loved it there and I started working for their advertising department besides being the receptionist and, you know, met a lot of people and, you know, got to know people at record companies and um, the writers there were so talented. Um, Mitch Glazer, who, of course went on to be a big writer in Hollywood and, and Peter Nobler ran uh crawdaddy and he's since done several books on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, and others. Mm. Um, in fact, I transcribed tapes for him, um, doing 24 90 minute tapes of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar talking about his life. That was fascinating. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, um, and John Perelis went on to be the um, the head of uh, the music department at the New York Times. Um, Timothy White went on to become the head of Billboard. He's unfortunately passed away. Um, that was another whole adventure, going to his wake and meeting Phoebe Snow in the ladies' room, who <laughs> sang there. Wow. Uh, the lady, Phoebe Snow. And um, then... From there, I went to another booking agency and they had a lot of acts, a lot of Vegas acts um, Tony Bennett, Victim Mom, wow. Peggy Lee, uh, Liberace. I got to know Liberace. Um, Rod gingerfield Steve Martin, uh, Earl Scruggs, Johnny Cash. Um, who else? Larry Gatlin and the Gatlin Brothers. Um, so there's country. Wow. wow. <laughs> so the, the person I was working directly for there uh, was uh, the bass player of the Fenderman. Okay. Whose big hit was Mule Skinner Blues. Okay. So, um, so, but he had become a booking agent. So I learned all about booking directly from him and I'm sitting right outside his office. So I'm hearing all of the conversations mm. going on and, um, and got to be really good friends on the phone with, uh, Louise Scruggs, Earl Scruggs wife, who was his manager and was a very smart lady. And you really had to prove yourself before she would, you, you know, let. Into her circle. And, but I just, I adored her. She was great. Oh, wow. So I collected those contracts, got the promoters to sign them. And she really liked that <laughs> and, Amazing. uh, and got to meet, um, Earl and Louise and, and, um, and the sons who, you know, they had a, a band with the sons. So where did we go from there? Jim and I ended up getting married. Jim, um, Jim got a phone call one day from, Jim's a professional photographer, Mm -hmm. got a phone call one day from uh, someone he had known in the photography business um, who he hadn't spoken with in a while. And he said, and they had done assignments together. And he said, I'm calling from Berlin, West Germany. And I am now road manager for Bruce Springsteen. Come on. Yeah. And he says, Bruce has just decided that he wants a tour photographer. And he says, I know other photographers, um, but he doesn't want a music photographer. Um, and you're the only person I know who can keep up with Bruce. How quickly can you get here? Oh my God. So, so then <laughs> Jim went down to the customs department, registered all his equipment, bought a ton of bricks of film. Remember yep, film I sure do. Film?
0: Yep.
1: 81 and, uh, and went off to Europe to tour with Bruce Springsteen and, uh, and was there for, I guess, the better part of a month. And, uh, and then I met up with him at the end of the tour. So we had this, you know, nice little vacation in London and, uh, and then he came back and, um, I was, um, helping him with his business, sometimes taking his portfolio to clients Mm -hmm uh but ultimately um where do we go from there oh
0: we got married <laughs> hey, oh, a little milestone
1: a <laughs> yeah, little milestone and then uh and then we had this wonderful little boy and uh we decided around the time that he was 2 that we needed a backyard right so we uh we moved out to long island and then jim Jim had actually bought a guitar in the city okay. um and he had started to you know to to play around a bit out here. We met a neighbor who was a musician, and he said, "Why don't you come down to this jam that's happening so Jim started to go to jams and uh and meanwhile, I'm still singing around the house right. like I was when I was you know a little kid, and Jim said, "We need a band." you need to be lead singer of a band. And I said, no, I can't do that. Once again, you know, somebody pushing me into something that ultimately I love, Wow, you know, so thank you, dad. And thank you, Jim. (laughs) So, uh, so Jim started to play a little bit more guitar. And we found when we did country songs that it just kind of fit. Right better than as much as we loved rock and roll. And I mean, I was a huge punk music fan and everything growing up. Um, the country just seemed to fit us both. Uh, so Jim went out to these jams and he found, you know, musicians and, uh, we started rehearsing and put a band together and he got on the phone and Jim on the phone persuading people to hire somebody who nobody ever had seen before. You know he he did it, wow. and, uh, wow. and our first thing, our first gig was at Maddie T's in Deer Park, oh, sure. which was the place for country music on Long Absolutely. Island. So yeah, so that was um a bit, you know, tense, <laughs> but we just went for there from there and and started to get more and more gigs and just built it up. And then we were playing at Jones Beach Bandshell every year, and it was. You know, it was a, a, a real fun adventure, and and the adventure continues. Yes.
0: <laughs> I got to I got yeah. to tell you, Mary, my head is spinning coming into this interview. <laughs> if you would tell, if you had I'm told sure. me the roadmap, the roadmap <laughs> would be from bagpipes to Alice Cooper to Bruce Springsteen <laughs> to all the people. I, you're just blowing me away here. It's just a, it's just an amazing ride, and and, it's, and you you know. Has, I'm sorry.
1: It has been it has been a, an amazing ride and it just continues like that. Yeah. And you know, and when we got out here so we we're we're play, we're playing covers. Sure. Okay, we're doing all, you know, all country covers of, you know, traditional and, you know, and and current country at the time and um and so I called the 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 guy who I worked for at the booking aid, the second booking agency, who was the bass player from the Fenderman and, you know, responsible agent for Earl Scruggs and everything. And he says, I want to come and hear you sing because he'd never heard me sing before. Sure. So he actually drove out to Long Island. We went to a friend's house, set up the band and performed just for him. Wow. Wow. And, you know, and he says, you know what? I'm really proud of you. You've really, you know, you've really um, come far here in in a short amount of time, he says. But you're wearing somebody else's clothes. You need to put on your own clothes. Interesting. So, so I thought, okay, here's the project. Wow. <laughs> Never wrote a song in my life, and so I was at Maddie T's one night, and the band you know, there's a band there and they're blaring in the background and I'm sitting at a table and I got an idea for a song watching all the line dancers mm-hmm. dancing. So that was the first song that I wrote was Dancing Lile." Wow. And uh, yeah. And so I wrote out the lyrics and I'm kind of hearing the melody in my head. And Jim was talking to somebody and I walked over to him and I said, I think I just wrote a song. And he looked at the lyrics and he says, does it have a bridge? Uh-huh. And I said, uh, hold on <laughs> a second. I went back to the table and I, and I went back to, her and I said, I got the bridge. Wow. <laughs> well, it, it was not, I wish all songs were that easy. <laughs> there's, um, there's another song I wrote too, you know, a, a little bit later that was about my grandmother. My grandmother Uh, My mother's mother was probably my favorite person Mm. ever. Not a well-educated, you know, traditionally well-educated, but probably one of the smartest people I've ever met and, you know, really instilled in me the golden rule, um, which, you know, was really important to her. And now it's really important to me and um, and just really a lot of fun you know, could drink Molson gold nail with the best of them. And, uh, but was really just funny and fun and sensible and smart and just uh, a wonderful, wonderful lady. So, um, I have a picture of her sitting on, uh, on a hen house up in Northern Ontario, nice. um, when she was growing up, nice. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so she was a big influence. So I wrote a song about her and that song was woke up in the middle of the night. Just had this song going in right. my head and just quickly wrote down the lyrics and, you know, woke up the next morning and cried as I was singing it to to wow. Jim. And then we did a recording and i sent it up to my brother in toronto and and he listened to it and he called me up and he says i cried when oh, i heard nice. that
0: oh, what a great connection
1: <laughs> i said yeah so so yeah so so, so, uh, so you know i've i've tried to keep the songwriting going it's it's really difficult um uh you know i'll, I'll just like not get any ideas um i had a, a couple of well we've had some um some tragedies with with all the adventures and everything we've had some some tragedies mm-hmm. we the when we moved out to long island with our son who was 2 at the time um jim's mother very suddenly had a stroke and passed mm-hmm. away within a week and this was a couple of months after we had moved wow. out here so now you know we're you know, very conscious that, you know, Jim's dad is by himself now. And, you know, and so we're, you know, we're inviting him over all the time. And, um, and then, um, you know, a couple of years, uh, went by and then my mother died very suddenly, very tragically, Mm. And, uh, and so that threw me for a loop. Um, you know, but we kept the band going, and uh, and I think that was kind of, you know, a a, a saving grace factor. Mm-hmm. There was to keep occupied, and you know, of course, we had um, a small son too, so that was a joy. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, Jim's dad. Um, passed away from a heart attack. And then a couple of years later, my father passed away from a heart attack. It seemed like, you know, like it was one family and then the other. Um, so, um, you know, those were, you know, especially when our mothers passed away because it was so sudden, so unexpected, um, that it really threw us both. And, um, and, but life goes on. And we, you know, we all have experiences like this and we all find our way to cope with them and then move on and keep their memories alive. And uh, I feel as though my mother's with me every day, every single day. You
0: know know what's great about music, too? It's it's so healing in so many different ways, not only for the writer, but for the audience and what they pull out of a song, which may not have been your intention, but they pull things from it. And that's what I love about country music. It's really got a common denominator and very relatable to a broad swath of, of people. Uh, and I, I, I think that's great. Hey, I want to do this. I want to talk about the song that our audience heard before we started the podcast, which was not far from here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll take a quick break and we'll regroup.
1: Sometimes, you know, writing a song has to do with the need for another song. (laughs) And that's what happened with Not Far From Here. Um, We were putting together an EP, which is our our latest grouping. And um, and we, you know, we kind of decided we've got four songs. We really need another song. And I was talking to my... My um, one of my very best friends who um, I worked at Alice Cooper's management with. And she said, you need you need another song. (laughs) So and she had worked for a ton of people in the industry, too. After she worked at Alice Cooper, she worked for Kiss. Um, She worked for uh, Barry Manilow, um, um, Jorma Kalkinen. I mean, it just the list goes on and she's an amazing person. And whenever I need advice, I always ask her because she's um, besides um, being incredibly smart. She's also very uh, sensible and um, and and always has great advice. Um, So she says, you need another song. So it's like, oh, there was the project, right? The same thing that the booking agent had said to me, you know, you need to you know, you need to do this. Um, so I, that song happened fairly quickly, actually. And, and then ultimately became the title track of the, um, the grouping of songs. Amazing. Why don't we do
0: this? Let's take a quick break and we come back. I want to get your take because you have all this experience from the ground level up, you know, really from the trenches of the music business when you started and how you see things today. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back, everybody, with Mary Lamont. And we've got really so much more to explore. Hang with us. Are you a singer-songwriter who wants to take your music to the next level and you need some professional musicians and really that expertise to help you along? Well, check out Melts in Your Ears Studio. It's Mike Nugent's studio. If you like what you've heard here today, Mike's the guy who can make the connections put the tracks together, and give you a quality product. Check it out. Hey, everybody. We're back with Mary Lamont after that short break. I'm telling you, I got to grab my ears and my head because it's still spinning from from your career. And you've had all these connections. I'm going to have my homework ahead of me. By the way, uh, so the audience knows, a lot of people we talk about, I'm going to pop into the chapter mark so you can see who they are and uh and make that connection and let's talk about connections, how they've come around and about the music business, Mary. Tell me what you got.
1: Um connections in the music business. Yeah, so so, um, so you,
0: you were we're talking uh, during the break about a particular fellow who circled back into your life.
1: Right. Now this was um really interesting uh I got to know the the guys in, in Alice Cooper's band. Um and one of one of the band members would come in somewhat frequently, and that was the bass player, Dennis Dunaway, okay. who is a co-writer on many of Alice's big hits like School's Out, for example, sure. um, so he would come in with his wife, uh, Cindy Smith Dunaway, who happens to be the sister of Neil Smith, who is the drummer for Alice Cooper. Okay. So, so they would come in and they were just the most adorable couple. And I just really liked them a lot. Um, So they would they would come in here and there. And um, and years later, uh, Dennis, you know, had his own music projects, um, the Dennis Dunaway project. And he also has. Uh, a wonderful band with uh, two mem- original members from Blue Oyster Cult called, called Blue Coop. okay And so he was performing, and uh, my, my friend Gail, who I worked with in the office, said, Hey, let's go see Dennis. So we, we went to see him, and, and it was just terrific seeing him and, and Cindy again. And, um, and Dennis said, I have this I know you have a country band, and I have this country song that I wrote. And do you think that your band would be interested in performing it? I had to catch my heart, which had just dropped to the floor from shock, that Dennis Dunaway was asking me Mm. (laughs) to sing his composition. Well, it turns out that Dennis, and of course I said, yes, sure. you know, total had not heard the song. Yes. I'm interested because I know it's going to be a fabulous song because it's written by Dennis Dunaway. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, it turns out, and I didn't know this, that Dennis's whole background of his family was country music. Wow. He had, you know, relatives who were in a country band with um, um pedal steel, and you know, and the ladies, the Dunaway sisters, okay. who who had a, a a group together, and so this was news to me. So that was that was really you know that was really fun to learn. And um, and so he gave us this song. He had hoped that one of his daughters was going to sing a demo with um with him playing guitar, but um, unfortunately, she was. Uh, I guess, out of town or something. So he, um, he ended up singing it himself, uh, just with guitar and sent us this MP3 right. of it. And so uh, we took it into the studio and pulled in, um, you know, a pedal steel and Jim's guitar, bass and drums, and, uh, and really had fun with it. And we sent it to him, you know, holding our breaths. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and- and he loved it. Wow! He he said it's just got the right amount of country twang, and you know, and your voice sounds great, and the the guitar and steel are fantastic, and you know, he says it sounds terrific. So, um, so that is also on our. Um, what's the title of the song, Mary? Um, what was right for you left nothing for me. Oh, that's great. <laughs> So think Alice Cooper country. It's kind of a dark lyric. Um, I really love it. And what I would really love to do sometime is to, um, to make a video of that song. Um, We did one for not far from here, Um, but I would, I I think that song would lend itself so nicely to a video. So that's gotta be a project at some point.
0: Hey, well, (laughs) let's not leave our audience in suspense. You brought that to the table. So let's have them listen to the song right now. And we'll be right back after the song, everybody. Stick with us.
2: These words keep kicking round inside my head. I keep on wondering about what you said. Why, why did I ever say, go ahead and do a try right for you? Now I'm sorry, cause what was right?
0: Derry Lamont, my head stopped spinning. That was a great song. Thanks for bringing it to the table. So when I started the Long Island Sound podcast, I actually got the name from a Billy Joel speech at the recently grand, uh, opening of the uh, the Long Island uh, Music and Entertainment Hall of Fame, which has been around for a long time. But now they have a physical location, and years ago, I've been
1: there. Wonderful. Oh, it's great,
0: and. And Billy Joel did a speech back in the day where he said, the Long Island sound is more than a body of water that separates Connecticut from Long Island. And a light bulb went over my head and that's where I grabbed the name. But what I really wanted to explore with you, Mary, is I'm really excited about WUSB. That's the Stony Brook Station. And they are so supportive of original music on Long Island, uh, which I think is a rarity. And we need more people like you and – that type of station to, you know, really promote the wellspring of talent that we have here.
1: That's part of the fun of um, of being part of WUSB because there are so many different genres they cover. I mean, anybody can find a um, a show on WUSB who will be playing the type of music that they like. And you can't really <laughs> say that about many other stations. And uh, and as you say, too, the uh, support of uh, local talent. Um, usually in pretty much every show, I'm featuring somebody who is doing original music either on long island or in new york city um in fact um i'm i'm just now featuring somebody who contacted me from massachusetts Mm -hmm. and a very talented multi-instrumentalist and um so i'm going to feature um him on the next show but yeah i mean we um we take pride in that and uh And and there's so much talent here on Long Island. Um, After 225 shows, I'm still finding great stuff to feature on the show.
0: And, you know, we include geographical Long Island, Brooklyn and Queens in the mix. And I tell you, over the past year on this podcast, I just it kind of blew me away. I found a well, they found me a bluegrass band who is in Brooklyn. And you know they're they're called damn tall buildings, and they're from Montana, Philly, <laughs> and New Hampshire, and for some reason Excellent. they settled in Brooklyn, the center of the world as they would call it today. And that kind of just would, it took me back. I'm like, wow, I, there's just so much here, you know. There's just a potpourri of. <laughs> Tell me what you like, and we'll find a band or a venue that's going to support it. And yet, on the other hand, I guess one of my laments is that I wish there were more venues that were supportive of original music. Um, you know, my friend, Mike Nugent says, Hey, it's the time of the tribute band and that has its place. Uh, you know, you got to market, you got to bring in, sell tickets and beer and food and stuff. But I wish there were more, I just wish there were more places like Katie's of Smithtown and Bartini and Babylon and, and some of the larger venues, you know? Yeah, there, um,
1: There are not enough places, but at the same time, sometimes it's difficult to get people to come out for original music. Um, Whereas with a tribute band, you know exactly what you're going to get. You know the material and, you know, and somebody's practiced very hard and some of these tribute bands are pretty amazing. Um, But I love that I have the you know the the opportunity to promote other original artists on, on Long Island um, because people need to hear it, and maybe if they hear it on the radio, they'll go see them right, live.
0: Exactly, and you know what? So much has changed. You know, for an artist to make money, they've got to go and do gigs. You know. They're not making it um, selling their music. It's on Spotify. Unless you get millions of streams, you're really not seeing that right. income. Yeah, $5. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got a five dollar check from two years ago. Yeah, but but right. I think that's one of the things. Uh, and I'm, this is self touting this my platform here is this the Long Island Sound podcast gives another platform for people to expose their music. And it solves my curiosity. Every time I've seen somebody live, what's come into my mind is, what's her story? What's his story? How did they get into it? And uh, I'm still fascinated by your story. I mean, we could do like five five <laughs> podcasts, Mary. It's just... just.
1: Every, everybody's got a cool yeah. story. <laughs> so i, I got to ask
0: you this. Back to the songwriting. Is it all on your shoulders for your band? Like, are you... Oh, oh okay. not at all.
1: I mean, my husband... Has been so, um, for lack of a, a better pun, instrumental in you know, <laughs> in putting this band together, in encouraging me to you know to be the head of the band, um, you know, in the guitar work that he does, um, in the riffs that he plays around the house that inspire me to write wow, music. Wow. From, you know, from what he's doing and, and he'll just play something over and over again. And suddenly it'll sound like something to me. I'll come up with a few words and then expand on that. So he has clearly been very instrumental nice. in, you know, in okay. every, every aspect of it. If it weren't for, I mean, it should be called the Jim Marchese wow. band because... It's, you know, it's really all of his doing and, um, and, you know, as far as, I mean, I feel like I've, I'm sort of on a mission here, I guess on a mission at WUSB to, you know, to introduce people to music, maybe that they've never heard, whether it's new stuff on the Americana charts or, um, or a local artist who's just up and coming, Um, to, you know, performing with my band uh, to give people some entertainment with people have problems and they want to forget about them for a while. And I feel that's my job to to make um, make them laugh. You know, make them uh, tap their foot to some pleasant music for an hour and a half or or whatever. We um, we actually enjoy doing um, libraries. We do a lot of um, library shows. It's a sit down listening audience. And um, and we just really have a lot of fun with it. And um, and people have told me, you know, you're a real entertainer. Um, I just get up there and tell stories. I mean, just like we're doing sure, here sure. now, um, you know, but I think maybe somebody might find this amusing or make a connection um, or entertaining. Or, yeah. 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 So, um, it's, it's really fun. It's, um, it's a drag at the end of the show because it's over. And then you had to break yeah. down <laughs> all the equipment and put it back for
0: exactly. <laughs> our own roadies. But, but you, you hit on <laughs> but, something, Mary and, and, Couple, couple things I'm getting from this episode. One, and it's a common denominator in a lot of the interviews I've had with artists, and those people in their lives that were encouraging to say, "Hey, you can do this" is so important uh, in that. And the other thing is being a good storyteller. Uh, if you look at the successful artists or artists that I love or the artists that people love, there's that thread of storytelling. You know, the John Prine you know, the Johnny Cash aspect of telling a story that's relatable and you can make it your own through music, I think is kind of magical. The other thing I want to touch on, and I look back at this past year as we're winding the year down, one of my great memories was the 45th uh, anniversary concert uh, that WUSB did at the Stony Brook Theater. And
1: and I tell you,
0: a, a handful of my guests were on stage and it was great to see them in front, you know, not in a bar where I typically see them or a festival, but in a concert hall. And everyone from you know Peter Mancini to Rory Kelly, and and uh, it was just fantastic. All that, yeah, it was fun. like a it was like a yeah. it was like a family reunion. Is is my impression?
1: You know what? When you when you said on a stage, what suddenly came to mind is something I left mm. out, which is major for us, um, at the time, back at the beginning of this century, (laughs) a phone call out of the blue from, and my, my husband picked up the phone and there's this woman speaking with a very heavy Asian accent. And at first he thought it was a wrong number. And then in the middle of all the asian accent which he wasn't really understanding very well he heard my name and he said wait a minute are you looking for a band and she says yes yes we're looking for the band we want mary lamont band wow. <laughs> and and she started to tell him about this foundation which at the time was uh promoting goodwill between china and the united okay. states and she we would like the band to come to China and perform in China. So wow. we thought this is <laughs> this is really out of left field. I mean, we've had we've gone through Alice Cooper, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, and everything else. Now China wants us to bring the band over. So we ended up going to China. We were over there for a little over two wow. weeks. We crisscrossed through the country. Um, playing in various large venues, we started out playing in like a Hilton hotel that was had an, a massive room, ru- um, you know, like a banquet hall okay. room uh, with with dignitaries from different countries, and um, and then the next day we were out on a stage in the middle of the town square with thousands of Amazing. people. And then we end up in Beijing and we perform at the Forbidden City Concert Hall. And they said, oh, you will like this place like Lincoln Center. Oh my <laughs> and it was, it was like Lincoln Center. And, and so, you know, so I said, I have to make this work. I have to really, you know, make this a show. And, uh, and we, we had just had a that ball is- with it. And I played and and crisscrossed, like I said, all over the country. Ton like I think we took 10 planes in 16 days or wow. something. Um, and they just treated us like royalty. And I just I turned <laughs> to Jim and I said, Who do they think we are?
2: It's amazing.
1: <laughs> you know, let's just roll with it. <laughs> and so we were really had fun. And the people there were so wonderful. They were um, very receptive. And, you know, and at first they warned us, you know, they may not, you know, clap or anything, react much. They reacted like they were up on their feet, clapping their hands and everything. And before I went over there, they said, can you learn a song in Chinese? We will when they hooked me up with a guy who was um, a Chinese interpreter at the United Nations. And he helped me with, they, they spelled the words out phonetically told me what the song was about. And, um, and it was actually a a hit in, in China, like a a very popular folk song. And, um, and so the, um, the, the guy from the UN helped me to, you know, pronounce the words correctly, and I went over and sang us in the middle of the concert. I'd sing this song in Chinese, wow. and they went
0: nuts. Wow!
1: <laughs> yeah, so that was that was really fun. I've I've sung it actually at a, a couple of concerts here on Long Island too. You know, just throw in a few bars. You know, just I, for I the got, fun of I it. Gotta
0: get, uh, I got to get I got to get an MP three of that because my daughter Faith took Chinese. She took Chinese in at Scranton University. Oh, and she's wow. fluent. I
1: might actually have an MP3 of um, the artist um Kui Jian, Kui Jian, okay. I think is how you pronounce the his name. Uh, who
0: had the okay, big cool. hit with it? I that'd be neat. Um, really neat to hear yeah, that. Sorry, I, okay, I so so before my head was out. stopped spinning, now my head's spinning again because <laughs> I do remember I wrote I have China written down right right in my notes here, so I'm glad. <laughs> forgot yeah, about yeah. China, oh, a small little <laughs> Place, you know, but man, what a life experience. That's, that's really phenomenal. It's amazing. Hey, let's, let's, let's do this. Yeah, let's talk we, about we, it filled her mind. Tell me about that. And Oh, it yeah. filled her
1: mind. Yeah. That was, that was the, uh, we also call that the grandma okay. song. That was the song that was inspired by my grandmother who, um, who inspired, Uh, inspired me so much and really made me the person I am today. I can almost hear her talking when I'm talking, you know, and that's, you know, that's part of the nice thing about, um, well, one of the nice things about getting older, some of it's not so (laughs) nice, but um, you know, one of the nice things that I'm finding is I look in the mirror and I see my Mm. mother and Mm. that's not only nice it's, there's, there's a sense of comfort about it too, you know, because, you know, somebody that you would love to still have sure. around, like I would love her to see our son's daughter,
0: right.
1: you know, I'm a yeah. grandma. <laughs> I'm sure she does it in, in, in a <laughs> um, different
0: way, but yeah.
1: Yeah, be, maybe, maybe, but, um, but yeah. um, So yeah, they're, they're with us all the time and that is Really a source of daily happiness. Like I'll think about something they said and laugh.
0: That's great. And now you have a yeah. now you have a tribute <laughs> song to her, which is is great. So I'm sure every time you sing it, it makes the memories fresh again.
1: And now I just got an idea for um for a song for our two year old granddaughter. Just, now? just so this moment?
0: It's a little Oh, okay. Well, no, not like, this wow. moment. <laughs> just a couple days <laughs> ago. <laughs>
1: Just a couple of days ago, it just reminded me. Um, I have to get on that. Um, so, uh, you know, when she gets a little bit older, you know, she'll she'll
0: have a song that was written One about five. her. All right, let's check out the song. It filled her mind. Got that right? Correct. It filled, it filled up, filled her, up mind. her mind. We'll be right back after the song. Enjoy everyone.
2: She had several suitors But she always said no The one that she loved Was in heaven, we know She knew that she'd never Find another so fine. So she lived in the memory And it filled up her mind She remembered the magic That both of them The wedding, the baby, how much they both cared A love that was truer and finer than fine And she loved him completely and it filled up her mind Filling her thinking with all the good things Of his leaving so young and the sadness it brings Someday she knew That she'd see him again And they'd be together Like they've always been And the music box dancers That he gave her one day Are next to the records That they used to play And the dancers twirl around And the music She remembered the dancing and it filled up her mind. So young and the sadness it brings. Someday she knew that she'd see him again and they'd together like they've always been. Well, she had seven suitors, but she always said no. The one. She lived in the memory and it filled up her mind She knew that she'd never find another so fine So she lived in the memory and it filled up her mind Yeah, she lived in the memory and it filled up her mind
0: Everybody, we're back with Mary Lamont. We just came back from China, and just just amazing how things come come your way, Mary. Just, uh, just just amazing stuff, amazing stories. Got to have you back on the program for sure, Mary. So, uh,
1: oh well, thank you for having me, Steve. This is really yeah, fun. So
0: every other Sunday at noontime, I believe, is uh, your show.
1: From noon to one, it's down home country. And then if you tune in on a week when I'm not in, uh, um, when I'm not broadcasting, it will be the wonderful Gene Casey, another musician here on Long Island, uh, who has just started uh, doing the alternate weeks of down home country uh, back in the summer. And uh, he just jumped right in and took to it like a fish to yep. water so i'm absolutely thrilled that he's my uh partner in crime at down right. home country so, on w yes,
0: 90.1 so no matter and you could get it online obviously uh as as yes w FM. so there won't be a wrong sunday to hit the show either you'll get mary or you'll get gene so uh you have a fun time with it absolutely mary it is really uh, honestly my pleasure to chat with you today i've learned so much uh, about your career I love your music thank you for sharing that and I have a friend who who told me said Steve you know we can account for what's in the bank and what we own we can never account for the time we have left and the fact that you gave me your time today was a real blessing so I thank you for that
1: oh that's very nice thank you Steve thanks for having me
0: much appreciated take care everybody bye bye thank you for joining us today I appreciate the time you spent with us Please subscribe and comment and visit us at GigDestiny.com. Till next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. We really love to hear from you. And call our listener line at 631-800-3579. Again, thanks so much. Be well.